Hey, I'm Taylor Dorson, and this is the Professional Technical Interviewee. Technical interviews are hard, and every company does them differently. On this show, I interview engineering leaders to see what they look for in technical candidates, and then they perform a real technical interview with me. My guest today is Uman Kapadia. He's currently the head of DevOps at Amount, and before that, he was with Rally Health as a senior ops engineer. He talks about what he's looking for when he's hiring for DevOps engineers, and what to do if you're stuck in a technical interview. Uman Kapadia, currently at Amount, as the head of DevOps, previously at Rally Health uh, and a whole slew of other companies across the Chicagoland and Ohio area, and a graduate yeah. of the Ohio State University. Correction, not a graduate of the oh. Ohio State University. Oh, a- I attended the Ohio State University and then slowly was like, this is fucking stupid. <laughs> okay, maybe, what do you think? You mentioned the university or not? No, yeah, I mean, feel free. Yeah, feel free to drop off. I love, I love Ohio State. Cool. I just uh, uh, did not enjoy paying for something. I was like, I don't understand why I'm doing this. Right. We can get into it too. Some um, when we talked, but I remember you. You were already working, right? Like, weren't you working? Yeah. I so I uh, yeah, but self. I taught myself to program when I was 14, and uh, and then I just got into tech. My first job was like working tech at my high school. That was my first tech job, and then uh, yeah, worked for a telecom company, and then got into wireless networking and. Uh, my my internship and like this is this is being a stupid kid, uh, getting an internship with uh, Big Lots. Going, hey, can you help us like install wireless in all of our distribution centers because you like been doing this for years? I'm like, sure. They're like, cool. You'll be getting you get a nice little internship at ten dollars an hour or it's like fifteen dollars an hour, something stupid. I was like, oh yeah, you would have paid somebody millions of dollars <laughs> to do this project. <laughs> Uh, they got you right. They got uh, me. We got an intern right now. Well, he's, yesterday was his last day at work, and I I thought he was just going to be doing kind of nonsense, but we had him doing real work. You know, he was, I, yeah, yeah, no, you he do was writing yeah. real code. Um, and I looked pretty decent. I mean, he needed help, but at the end of it, I was like, he looks better than the engineers we're interviewing right now. <laughs> <laughs> you you like, get that sometimes, yeah. It's a lot, a lot more affordable too. Um. Well, we're in it now. We're all, the show's already started. So, show uh, started. Welcome. welcome. Thanks so much for, for being here. Uh, I know, it's, like you said early, uh, it's been a little while since we talked, but I think we've known each other for, for quite a few years, right? Since you moved quite up a few to years. Chicago. You, uh, yeah, you helped me get both of my jobs in Chicago. Yeah. I, oh, I forgot about Rally. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah. It's always, it's always funny. Um, I think my, my my trick when I was recruiting was just get to know people and then keep following up with them <laughs> over the course of several years right yeah uh it, it works out well. off really yeah cool well well tell me a little bit about um the your current team and the company at amount because i know uh that role's grown and kind of shifted a little bit and probably uh quite a bit going on now yeah i mean you know amounts just hit this like beautiful spot and my favorite spot right is that you know you're the scrappy startup and then somebody's just like hey we're gonna throw a shit ton of money at you right so you know getting goldman sachs on board last year and becoming you know part of our series c and that just like opened all the doors right and then once that happens this you just are the first wave of hyperscale where it's just grow 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 and like hit the go 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 right and so, yeah, like I started, you know, with this like small little team of like DevOps engineers, like infrastructure, more infrastructure focused. 
And, uh, you know, over the course of time, as like we're talking about growing and how do we scale, right? Like the challenge really starts becoming that how do you really think about as a startup, this like scrappiness and then that scrappiness going into like adulthood, right? Mm. And it's really about like linking people, process and technology from a DevOps perspective of like, we need to take the core concept of the business and we take the core concept of, you know, engineering, the software engineering specifically, and smash those two together, right? So such that the more optimized business problems are internally, right? The more efficient and the faster we can deliver software is and value to our customers, right? Hmm. So like that's the, that's the space I own now, right? Is like I own this behemoth of like thinking about technology, internal tools, process, and people. How do we build culture? How do we educate the, the base, right? What changes do we need to go make? How do what what are our actual processes? And you're a startup, so like a lot of times you you don't have processes, right? Yeah. It's like, yeah, we just like slap it on the button and it just makes it out the door, right? Uh, and so like whatever you came up with. Yeah, right. Like right? some guy yeah. in the corner just like, yeah, I did it once and now everybody does it like how I do it, right? Yeah. Uh, and getting that formalized and then really taking a hard look at how do you optimize that, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, and that's Gun. You said you have what forty people under you now and a couple managers. I have fifteen. I have fifteen like full time employees, right? Mm-hmm. Over two managers. We're going to be expanding that probably to like thirty some full time employees, and then we have another set uh, of contractors who like are just our like buffer. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, when you're hyperscaling, it's like really hard to fucking hire like fifty people at once. Sure. So yeah, yeah, you like hit up a consulting company, like, hey, give me some people, and we'll like weed weed them out as we scale. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was, I think, when I was in recruiting, I often worked in in uh, conjunction with those consulting companies. Right, whenever they'd be like, if you can fill this role, we can let that person like basically roll them off our our payroll sooner, which that pays for your fee, right? And I was like, yeah, sounds good to me, right? I'll just <laughs> yeah. fill as many of those as I can before September when they all have to go away, right? Yep. So that sounds like fun, and and. Uh, is primarily Ruby still, or do, you, do y'all use interesting things internally? I know there's a lot yeah, of different so tools, right? Amount, amount as a whole has been historically a Ruby shop, and I think mm-hmm. as we're moving forward in time, we're now starting to like revisit that. Yeah. Um, primarily, you know, the idea that you have the entire company on one language has some appeals because then you can move people around with some mm-hmm. more flexibility, but also you're forcing engineers into a language they may or may not love, mm-hmm. right? Uh, my team primarily focused on Golang because like the DevOps space tends to be more Golang oriented with like HashiCorp and some of the other big players in the space. Um, mm-hmm. So we've just like rallied around Golang and also to like start getting amount more familiar with the idea of using multiple languages internally. You know, it's funny is I feel like sometimes it starts in, in those, you know, not the not the core engineering, right? Like you're not going to build a whole new monolith in in a new language, right? But if someone in DevOps starts using it and it kind of spreads internally there, then it starts seeping into maybe some of the other teams. I've seen several companies, at least in the Chicagoland area, like all of a sudden Go became a huge part of their environment because one guy went home and built something over the weekend in, in yeah. Go because he was interested in it, right? And then yeah. it came back and now they got 50, 50 Go engineers. Yeah, and that's, that's actually generally like my strategic approach into like the people process tech problem, right? Is that, hey, you know, DevOps is a low risk space because they own internal tooling, they own the pipelines, we write software uh, to solve like internal things. And so it's like the perfect playground space of like, okay, what are our strategic 
initiatives long-term? And then how do we seed that into DevOps? How do we start flushing that out, building it, figuring out pros, cons? And then we can talk to engineering teams like, hey, whenever you're ready to use this, we've kind of like figured out some of the pieces we can talk to you about pros and cons and figure out if it makes sense for your product line. That's really interesting. That makes a lot of sense. I, I, and I'm, I'm, if you could dive just a little bit more into specifically what you define as DevOps, I know this is a huge question, right? But uh, maybe more specifically at Amount, because I always thought Amount did, or at least thought of DevOps a little bit differently, right? It was, it was truly folks who were writing software for internal tooling rather than, I think it's a huge term that sometimes people use for everything from that, right? To networking, admin focused stuff and, and server focused stuff, right? Like what is it specifically at Amount and specifically that your team looks at? Yeah. And, you know, talk, like that, that's like the challenge in the industry is like agile and DevOps fall into the space because like the space as a whole has come up with like the manifestos, right? Mm-hmm. Like what should we think it be, right? But not how it needs to be implemented because every location is different, but the yeah. outcomes that you're looking for are the same, right? And the outcomes in DevOps at the end of the day are all about enablement of your business, right? Mm. It's if you think about like, going back to a factory, right? You have engineers who are the guy who's like building the widget, right? But that process line, that line that everybody is working on, that's where your DevOps place comes into play, Mm. right? Is how do we streamline this process and you have everybody work on their widgets that all come together to make that final product, right? And so from that perspective, what DevOps is at amount is is that, right? We, We look at CI, we look at CD, which is one component, but what we really want to focus on is that entire process. And that's what we do, right? From start to finish, how, how many steps, how much effort does it take to make uh, a thought into like actual production software, right? I, I love like articulating the like uh, schoolhouse rocks, I'm just a bill. Because like that, that encompasses the core concept, right? Of like, I'm this idea that's like sitting to be a bill and how do I become a law, right? And it's that same concept. And so we want to really think about starting with the process. You know, we lay it out. We start saying, okay, where do we need to make improvements in that process? Where do we need to add new tooling? Where do we need to refine it? How do we improve our lead time, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's primarily what the team focuses on today is those problems. And then there's the internal tooling teams, which then say, okay, cool. There isn't a tool out in the industry that solves this problem or solves it elegantly. So let's go and build that thing and we'll build it internally. And like the next big leap for us is to start taking that software and saying, how do we open source this work? Mm, interesting. That's great. I, I love that answer. And I think that you gave me a better answer in 30 seconds than I ever got in eight years of recruiting. So <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Just thinking of the the manufacturing line, I think this is a helpful visualization for me. Um, and that, that's really interesting. Uh, cool. And... and I guess as far as from an interviewing perspective, right? You said you're kind of this hyper growth scale. I'm assuming you're doing lots of interviews internally or how involved are you in that, that interview process? Um, I, I, I mean, I obviously on interview panels um, for at least the DevOps space, right? Like mm-hmm. I interview every engineer that comes into my team, right? Uh, at some point, there's probably a time where I'll probably start scaling myself back and probably having mm-hmm. them just my managers do it. But right now, um, we run an interview loop, right? Uh, four or five interview slots. For me, everything is paired interviews, right? So there are always two interviewers in the room. Nice. Uh, and primarily, it gives you a few things, right? One, 
you cut down on bias, right? Because there are two people who are evaluating the same scenario and the same set of answers. Yeah. But two, like it also gives you a chance to let one person ask a question and somebody to the, for the other person to take notes and then for the other person to ask questions and then the other person take notes. Mm-hmm. That way you can get good notes on everything that happened too. Yeah, I like that. I I know sometimes people are intimidated if there's too many people in the room, right? If there's six yeah. people, that's tough. But I think two people, um, I've almost felt you can make it much more conversational if they almost if they're interacting with each other a little bit and they're interacting with you, it becomes more of this conversation instead of we're going to ask you things and you better have the right answer. <laughs> yeah. And like, I don't know. I think that's stupid. Like it's not about questions, right? It's about getting to know people and making sure people are the right fit. And you're, you're going to know, you'll, you'll know if somebody is knowledgeable or not knowledgeable just by like listening to them talk about it. Right. Yeah. I love it. Do, do you, I guess, what are you typically evaluating for in technical interviews? If you, uh, I know you said there's several different steps of the process. Is there, yeah. I'm assuming there's cultural pieces, right? Um, but is there a, What's your typical technical screens look like? Yeah, so one of the things we don't do, um, not a take home or even an onsite, we just don't do a technical code thing at piece, right? Like, mm-hmm. I just don't, I don't buy into those. Like, even if it's a take home, like, you can get help or whatever. Like, it doesn't tell me much, right? Yeah. Uh, also, I'm a pretty strong believer that like 90% of engineers, including myself, are like stack overflow like squirrels, like that's it. Like sure. stack overflow is how I write software. Like, let's be real. Yeah. yeah. Um, but what, what is important, right, is we do a code read, right? We talk about like the flow of code and, you know, talking about like why things make sense, why things don't, you know, pros and cons. And we just generally want to get an assessment of like how a person thinks about code and that relationship and how they're going to potentially think about writing code, right? Hmm. Uh, so like being able to read, being able to talk about code, being able to communicate, you know, how that translates to you and your own internal process, super important, right? Yeah. So there's that. Uh, from there, we typically have a scenarios and scenarios are that like hands-on architecture thing, right? Mm. So depending on if we're looking to bring in someone more software engineer focused or someone more like infrastructure focused, it's a different scenario, right? Uh, primarily around like, hey, like talk to me about like, we're gonna stand up CatTube, right? Because cat videos are so popular. Uh, how would we build it, right? From an infrastructure standpoint, right? And then the other the other scenario, if it's more software develop, developer focused, will be like, hey, we wanna build this new app, CatTube again, right? How do we do the software architecture in microservices and events? And how do we you know tackle common software engineering problems we run into? Mm-hmm. Nice. Uh, then you have your culture slot and then your manager slot of like, you know, that's which is usually me and another, another manager talking about like, how do you deal with conflict? Are you going to rage quit on me? You know, are you you know going to go throw something? Uh, you know, what's your general discipline around conflict and working with people and working in a team? Because that's the other big thing. Like, I have a very large team focus, right? Like, I'm not about individual heroes. The team wins together. They lose together. Uh, and so I want to make sure that people that we are bringing in have like, a very similar feel of like what it means to work on a team or is interested in working on a team. Yeah, I think, I, I don't know, you tell me in the in the ops space, it, I feel like early on, maybe before it was that mature of a space, it felt like there was always one person who kind of handled a lot of that work. Yeah. Right? So then you get these like, um, I don't know, one, one man armies, right? Who are used to handling a whole company's worth of stuff. And now as those teams have grown, I think a lot of them have made 
very nice transitions, right? Because they're used to working with other people. And some of them, maybe not so much, right? Do yeah. you see a lot of that in the ops space? Oh, 100%. I think you see it across the board. And I think it's, there's a great book. Um, I forget the author's name, but it's called The Staff Engineer. And it really talks about how you get from senior to staff and like the archetypes that fit in. And like the two most common, right, is in like a smaller company, you're going to get the solver. Like that's your dude, right? He's like the guy like you tap on because like something's fucked up. And like, he's the guy who's going to go figure it out because he's so deeply familiar with like what's going on. And so like, that's very common in like the startup space because there's only a few people yeah. and those few people are going to know everything, right? As you start scaling and as you really start thinking about teams, like you don't want those guys, right? They're great. They're going to go slam some stuff out, but like that doesn't help me develop a team, right? That doesn't, you know, that doesn't help me solve larger problems because one person can only do so much, right? And so you do, you run into some scenarios and I, I have this today where I have an individual who, you know, is a solver and I'm like, look, the path forward is you need to be a tech lead. And if you can't be a tech lead, then you, this is not the team for you. Yeah. And it sucks. Like it's a hard conversation, but it's like, this is the path forward. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I, I think there's... I don't know. It's it's there's lots of skills as you go up the ladder. I, I believe the technical skills sometimes get smaller and smaller, right? Of like the the pure yeah. importance on them, right? And everything else becomes more and more important, which is such like a like a flip, right? After you're used to just being like, as long as I can do X, someone will put me in a senior role somewhere, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, you could just write code, and then all of a sudden it becomes wait, I have to like actually know how to like interact with people. I can't be as cranky in my standups anymore. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. I it's been the funniest thing, especially watching like my mids like start getting up to senior or even from like junior to mid. And I'm like, listen, mid mid software engineer is where you're going to write the most code. Yeah. Everything after mid software engineer is like less code writing. Like I understand that sounds counterintuitive, but like once you pass mid, it is less code writing. Yeah, yeah. they're like, what? Yeah, like, yeah. Sorry, you're just gonna write less code after you're a mid software engineer. Moving into uh, management in my early 20s, definitely a lot of hard lessons learned of you got to operate a little bit differently internally right? Yeah. after a certain point. Like that that shift could be very difficult, especially if, I think the hardest part for a lot of people is like if you used to be in, not that you can't be buddies with, with people on your team, right? As you go up the, the line, but there is a certain level of like, oh, I, I can't, necessarily be playing video games with these guys till midnight if i know we have a release yeah. tomorrow right like yeah like i'm hurting the team at that point and if you're used to doing that um because it's uh the manager will be the one who has to take the blame tomorrow uh it's a hard shift right it, it's a hard shift i think the other thing the hardest shift for engineers to managers right uh is the is the there's a way that you want to do it and you know you're good at doing it Right. This is the trap of like making your best engineers managers because they're they're usually not the best managers, to be super mm -hmm. clear. Uh, is the challenge of like they're a good engineer because they know how to solve problems, but that's also the thing that holds them back at a manager level because your intuition goes, here's how I would solve this, mm -hmm. and this is the fast way to do it. And I'm going to tell this person how to do it. And like nobody enjoys that. Nobody wants to be told how to solve a problem, right? Uh, and so it's like, yeah, you gotta take a step back and be like, here's the problem enjoy, go solve it. I will help like answer some questions, but like, you got to go figure this out on your own. Yeah, that was one of my last, um, the last client I had when I was in recruiting, their big 
focus was for lead and principal engineers. And I was like, what is the biggest difference for you between those two? And they said, our principal engineers know the same things our lead knows, right? From a technical standpoint. But they also know just because I like Go, Go might not be the right language for this tool. Or because I might not know Go at all, right? Except for I know it'll work well on this project, but someone else knows how to use it really well and will scale well with our team. So we're going to go with that, even if I don't know how to use it at all, right? Yeah. And, like, and being able to say that and actually answer that in an interview is like, that's what we're actually looking for in principles. I'm like, that's really interesting. Like just yeah. more of a future focus too, right? Versus just what what would I do in this situation? Is yep. What is best for the team as a whole, right? Exactly. It's a future focus and it's just a focus on like the humbleness to understand that like there are better solutions out there potentially and I'm only a single person. Yeah, I love it. Well, as speaking of uh, solutions from a single person, in the past, in technical interviews, how do you how do you feel you've done? Do you love them? Do you hate them? Do you me do you personally? Yeah. Do you think you're a wizard at tech interviews or somewhere? Um, yeah, I feel. I mean, I feel pretty confident. I uh, like one. Like I have always felt like I was a. I was never the best software engineer. I'm never the best software engineer because I'm a dirty software engineer, and by that, it's like I love, I love tackling problems and I love solving the problem. I just don't care to make it work the best, right? Like I love optimizing, right? Like I want code to be fast and clean and like smart, but like adding like good code is about error handling. And it's about, you know, gracefully exiting and it's being able to like communicate to your user of what's going on in your code. And it's just like the thing I don't give a shit about, right? <laughs> it's, it's like the thing I care the least about as, a, as like an engineer myself. Um, but I always feel like I did good uh, like technical interviews because like one, like I can like wrap my head around a problem, break it down, solve it, put code around it. And I know like the best part in a technical interview, right? Like you don't have enough time to add like all the gracefulness to code. And so like, I, yeah, like nobody's asking you for it. It's like, yeah, I can fucking write some code. Damn straight. You could almost hand wave away a lot of that stuff, right? Well, obviously, I would add these errors, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I cannot tell you the number of times where, like, yeah, yeah, you know, you would add like error handling here, and you would like add some checks, and like the, you know, what needs to be done. I just don't yeah. want to actually write that code. Yeah, I love it. Uh, did, did you have any type of system that you used when you're in technical interviews? If someone you said you're, you're going to wrap your head around a question, I think that's something, especially early on in people's careers, and sometimes even later, someone says to you solve this problem, right? In an interview setting, which has got a stress level because it's got a con, you know, confined time um, and you don't know what to do, right? How do you, I guess, do you have a system to do that to better wrap your head around things or to break things down? I think the thing that I recommend to people, right, is like, this changes based on your personality type, right? There, is, uh, there are the people who are great under pressure and under time constraints, right? They're the same people who are going to do great on their SATs, same people are going to do great on, you know, any kind of standardized testing, right? Mm -hmm. Then there's the people who are going to suck at that because they're just like the slow, steady, I, and they're great. Those are, they're great engineers, right? But they're just not mentally designed to do like tests like that, right? Mm -hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, and where all this translates, right? One, know who you are, right? Know if you're good at it, know if you're bad. Two, admit if you're good at it, if you're bad, right? Like, hey, look, I'm a slower engineer. I'm just going to work through this. But what's most important, take a deep breath, right? And then just start with, you know, how you do any kind of problem solving, right? Like if you think about like any kind of math problem or science problem, it all 
fits in the same bubble. Look at the problem, draw a picture if you need to, start breaking it down uh, and start small and then work your way from small to bigger to bigger to bigger. And then you can, that's how you add all your edge cases in. And the, you'll get a, you'll remarkably get a good solution, right? Because like, that's just generally like a great way to tackle problems. Yeah, I think that's the, the, call it the holy shit moment, right? Where a lot of people just go, I don't know how to solve this, right? And that, that's, that's what happens to me often and a little bit less so now recently on this show, but certainly early <laughs> on, I went, I don't know. This is going to be a rough next half hour, right? Uh, yeah. So I think that's the difficult part, but that is the, the really the only solution other than doing it a lot and just getting better so you have those solutions, right? Is, okay, well, I don't know how to solve that, but at least I can write the function, right? Uh, I'll start the yeah. function. And then, well, I know I need to have some type of result that pops out at the end. So let me write that piece. Okay. And then slowly work, work your way up. And I found once you start moving, right, then your brain starts to get into gear, right? And it'll yep. start plugging other pieces in, uh, which makes it a lot easier than just thinking I have to solve this whole problem, right? Yeah. I think that's a great way to tackle it, right? Just break it down piece by piece, step by step, and you'll get there. And like worst case scenario, right, is that if you're being honest with them and you're talking through it, and that's the most important thing, as you're writing code, just talk through it, right? Like yeah. talk through how you're figuring out how to solve it. And at least from my experiences, for the most part, even if you don't finish the exercise, people will be like, okay, cool. He at least understands like how to like tackle something. And like we can trust to give him something and he will mm -hmm. start working through, or she, right, will work through it. And then realize like, all right, well, I need to go ask someone, I need to go just, like stack overflow, whatever. Yeah, I, I'm curious. Maybe you have some insights into this since you, you do more, I call it more like system design focus, those architecture interviews internally, right? Um, I know a lot of people who maybe they're, they're mid-level engineers or even sometimes early in people's career, they start getting those types of questions, right? And they know, and myself included, I don't make those decisions at work, right? Like if you ask me, what, how, how would I design all this? I'd probably Google a lot of stuff and figure out how do I need to design. Like I've built projects, right? But it's something that I do once in a while, right? Not super regularly. So do you have any advice for people that are maybe starting to get those types of questions in their career and don't really even know how to start, right? Yeah, I think one, if you are an interviewer, right? Mm -hmm. Don't ask those questions, right? And like, I'll give you an example of like what we do, right? We've changed the format so that the question is more relatable right mm, okay and so like i'll give you an example right the the question that we currently run in our interview panel is like hey uh you're two you're two parents right parent one is responsible for waking your kid up your imaginary kid up every morning right their job is to get them showered clothed etc right and then that kid is gonna at some point come down and then from there your job is to create them three pieces of you know lunch things right like fresh orange juice a cream cheese cracker and a peanut butter sandwich, right? Mm -hmm. And get it in their back and then get them out the door, right? And so your goal is to like, look at this process of how do I create these items, ensure that they're in the backpack and ensure that the kid makes it out the door on time. If they make it out early, great. They, but they can't be late, right? Mm -hmm. And realistically, if you start thinking about this problem, you start really can translating it to like actual like technical problems too, right? Like I have some kind of asynchronous event that's happening outside of my space or synchronous event that needs to be triggered so that I then know to start like a series of processes, right? Which yep. can happen async, 
And then I need to ensure that those processes happen with some kind of QA control through them. And then I need to ensure that the delivery of those three like events happen. And then I need to ensure that like that, you know, that final thumbs back is like, all right, cool. User received everything and is out the door. Right. And so like, that's a little, little bit of the focus is if you take a problem and, you know, start thinking about different ways in which you might be able to translate that to maybe something more that's relatable to you. Uh, and then work backwards from that, right? Mm -hmm. And these are things you can do to prep, right? If somebody's like, hey, how do I build, you know, uh, some kind of web app that's going to do X, Y, and Z? Okay, cool. How could I potentially translate that to something that I'm familiar with and then work through the familiarity and then translate it back into a technical thing? And again, you don't necessarily have to have the exact technical answers, but what you need to be able to do is articulate at a high level what you need to accomplish Hmm. So that, you know, you get the final output you're looking for. And that's what's important. Yeah, I'm, I'm hitting you with questions that, that I didn't send you beforehand. So thank you for, for great answers. Yeah, no worries. Yeah. It's uh, like I know a thing or two. <laughs> Miracle. <laughs> right. I guess that's, that's the, the whole idea, right? If you're out here, you should be ready for these questions. <laughs> I, I guess, right? I think, you know, I think the other important part is like, as like a leader in a space, right? It's your job to think about these things, right? Like I've, yeah. I've obviously thought about these things a decent amount, like as I'm showering or sleeping or whatever. But like, these are the general problems that you are, as you start thinking about like past managers and start getting into like executive leadership or like even mid leadership, like these are the problems you deal with. It's not, it's completely, I don't deal with any kind of code problems, right? I have engineers right. and managers for that. But like, these are the fucking problems I got to go figure out is like, how do I do a better job evaluating engineers so that when I like hire somebody, I like feel good about it, right? Yeah. Like, how do I think about organizational structure and how do I think about like solving actual business value problems? Yeah, it's great. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's again, it's the stuff they don't really teach you at, at The Ohio State Computer Science. So no, they don't teach you, they don't right? teach you this shit anywhere. <laughs> and I think the best part about it is like, you know, we hire great engineers and we promote them to managers, right? But like the skills that made you a fucking great engineer are not the skills you need to be a great manager. Yeah. And the skills that you have as a great manager are not the skills you need to be a great director. Yeah. And so like, you know, I, I talk a lot about this with my team going on a slight tangent here, but like everybody feels imposter syndrome. Like I, I call bullshit. There's somebody out there who's like, doesn't think they feel imposter syndrome because Every fucking role is different. And the things that make you good at one job is 100% not making going to make you good for the next job. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is a, it's kind of a silly example, but it always sticks out of my head. Um, I heard once it was like Brad Pitt was given some interview about how he always feels like he's got negative self-talk when he's going on to movie set. Right. And he's the most famous, you know, handsome, well-paid guy in the world. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and, well, basically, the person's point was, if Brad Pitt's getting negative self-talk in his head, maybe it's the negative self-talk that shouldn't be trusted, right? Like, it's <laughs> yeah. not like that's valid. And that goes goes to you as well, right? To anyone in their own lives. It's like, that negative self-talk is going to happen, and you, just, you have to get past it, right? Or, just, or find yeah, some way to conquer it, right? Because it's always going to be there. It's always going to be there. And I think the thing that for me personally that I always go back to is like, look, the one thing that I have at this point in my life realized is that I can figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. No matter how much you ever feel like in self doubt or like why you're in this room or like what's going on, the one thing you got to like figure out how to trust is that you can figure it out. And if you, yeah. if you get to that point, 
you can achieve anything. Like once you realize like you can figure it out. I love it. Uh, any other tips or advice for, for engineers who are going into to technicals or early career engineers who are going into technicals? Be yourself, be honest, right? Uh, that's the most important thing. Um, you know, like, Here's the other part. Be honest, be yourself. And if somebody doesn't like it, fuck that guy, right? Because like, here's the thing. If somebody isn't okay with like you being honest and you being transparent and like understanding like, you know, that they've been there, we've all started at square zero. And if there is a person on the other end that doesn't get that, you don't want to work for them. Like you just don't like you got to accept that. Like I'm sad. I'm sad. I didn't get this job or I'm sad. Like they declined me, but also like if I'm myself and I'm doing the best that I'm, I can, do I really want to work for this asshole? Right. Like be okay with that. Be okay with being rejected. Like it's not the end of the world. And when you find someone that you can be yourself with and that you get, you gave your shot and they're like, let's do this. Right. That's the person you want to work for because they're they're They understand that, you know, they started there. They understand that like everybody starts at ground zero and it's hard and there's a lot to learn and they're willing to take that risk on you. Cool. Yeah. I love it. I, I probably called you for, um, you know, 50 roles over the years that you weren't interested in, or you, I think you always did a good job of having a phone call me. Like I did, it's not going to work, right? Like yeah, yeah. you could tell me about it. It didn't work. Um, and then I think you, that's because you've always done a good job of, you know, you, you, you're a personable person, um, but you're also in an interview, you are yourself, right? So, you know, after that, and they know after that, this is a great fit. This is really going to yeah. work or it's not right. Yeah. You, you, uh, and you, yeah. And that's the thing. Just be honest about it. Right. It's like, ah, oh, cool. Like I like this guy a lot. I don't like it a lot. Yeah. It'll work out. Yeah. I think that's, it's tough early career um, to keep that in mind, but it does, you know, maybe, maybe do what you got to do to get the first six months of experience or first year of experience. Uh, but then it, it makes it a lot easier right after that to, to, um, be a little yeah. And like, that's true. Like, you know, like there's going to be a part where you have to like pay your dues. Yeah. But I also, I personally, and this might just be my naivete, right. Is like, I'm a firm believer that there are people out there who understand and like, again, like I just hired three people out of, uh, actually you're from actualize, right? Yeah. Yeah. I hired three people from actualize. Uh, who, again, like, I, I understand they're ground zero engineers and like, yeah, mm-hmm. that's what I'm, that's what I'm asking for. Right. Like don't have some kind of like, you know, starry eyed vision that like, you're going to hire some people like, and this is their first, like, not only is it their first experience with technology, right. But this is like their first experience actually like trying to write code, uh, like be realistic about what you're asking for them. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I think that's a tough tough one um for companies i think sometimes i mean just just you verbalizing that it makes me remember right there's occasionally when i was first interviewing there was just situations where there's no way that this was going to be a a good fit but they're like oh you might be able to pick this up and i was like i will not be able to pick this up right like (laughs) you're asking me to learn a whole new language and basically hiring for a mid to senior level developer role like I'll take the job, but this is going to be a terrible experience on both ends, right? Because clearly yeah. their expectations were far beyond like what can realistically be done with someone with, you know, three months of experience, right? Who yeah, a little it, it's, it's, it's like insane. It's like, it's absolutely, I, I know there are engineering managers out there and I work with some and I'm like, you guys, like, what is your problem? Like, guys, like, like, come on, be realistic, right? Uh, also like understand the risk, right? Like that's, that's the huge risk. If you take a job like that, right? Like 
again, if you trust yourself and you're willing to put in like 60, 80 hours a week and really grind it, it'll be awesome for you, right? Yeah. But like also understand that like you are not necessarily set up for success. And like failure is not necessarily completely your fault. Yeah, we had one actualized graduate who landed at Pivotal Labs right out of the program. And they have, you know, pretty, I think, high tier um, engineering environment at, at Pivotal Labs. And this was several years ago. Um, and I, I think it was the most stressful. I think she told me as much, the most stressful time in her life, right? Just trying to like give her head above water. Um, she was up to the challenge, right? She did very well there. Now does, does has a great career, but I think, uh, her advice was don't do that <laughs> to yeah. everyone else, right? Like, yeah. it, don't come work here at that level, right? It was a bad yeah. idea that I somehow it's, got through it, right? It's super hard. I mean, and listen, you can get through it. I, I truly believe like anybody can get through it. It's just going to be super rough. Yeah. And you are going to spend, you're going to work a lot of hours and be super stressed out. Uh, but I mean, you can do it. It's just not the best road. Like sure. if you have the luxury, take take some time. Go do some more interviews. Find someone who's not as shitty. Yeah. Uh, any before we take a break here, um, any interview horror stories on, on your side, your side of the table that, that you're willing to share? Horror stories. Um, I don't think. I mean, I personally have never had an interview horror story. I think the only one that was semi horrible. Um, you know, there's this really massive company in Seattle. It starts with an A, uh, you know, thinks they end with a Z. Uh, great, you know, great interview with them. Uh, man, but, you know, when you meet people in your interview panel and everybody's like, yeah, I worked here three months. I worked here six months. I worked here eight <laughs> months. And the one guy you meet who's like, I worked here a year. And he's like, I'm going to move off to something else. And I'm like, cool, maybe not the place I want to work. Yeah, uh, that might be uh, the reason why they have a pretty difficult time hiring right now. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, great. Uh, I mean, I was like, I was like super excited for that interview too. It was like, I couldn't believe that like, you know, they were like actually willing to like fly me out and like interview me. I was like, this is like huge. And I'm like, this is like, man, who the fuck would take this job? <laughs> well, someone who would they throw 250 grand at them because they're an entry level college graduate? No, man, fuck, okay. fuck that. They don't even do that. It's bullshit. They, they, they offer you like a Chicago level salary. Oh, right? interesting. But the way that they, the way that they do this is that they offer you that salary and then they double it in equity. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They right. So you have the 120 and then you have 120 or like 160 in like equity and that equity vests over vests over one year. So you'll get it. Uh, but man, like, I was just like, fuck that. <laughs> I was like, it's cool that I'm going to get the equity and it's like all going to like make like good cash out of it. But like, fuck that. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, I think a whole different mindset. I, I, there's actually a whole, whole lot of uh, thing, thing adjacent companies that have created offices in Chicago that I think are maybe much nicer places to work. Um, but I do still get a little upset at their Chicago adjusted salaries, which are still significantly lower than um, anything on the West Coast, which is... I mean, I, I get it. But like, it's not like, I don't think it's like that out of tune. Uh, also, like, it's not that expensive to live in Chicago. Yeah, yeah. Well, you can make it that expensive to live in Chicago, but like you, you can totally like not make it that expensive to live in Chicago. Yeah, yeah. You're right. Uh, cool. Well, let's let's take a quick break here, and then we come back. We'll move into the technical portion. 
Cool. Sounds good, man. Thank you for watching the first half of the Professional Technical Interviewee. The technical interview will be released one week from this episode, so be sure to subscribe to make sure you don't miss it. New episodes are released on the first four Thursdays of each month. Find us on YouTube at youtube.com slash or on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes. And remember, keep practicing.